When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome, everyone, to Rock M Nation Podcast. Uh, this is a brand new episode of Dive Cuts. We're on Season 6, Episode 12, and we are here to talk all about your Missouri Tigers and their basketball program, uh, notably their most recent loss to uh, arch-rival um, something Chicken Hawk, I don't know, somewhere from Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, I am your host, Sam Snelling. Uh, with me, as always, uh, Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are things in Indiana? I've spent the day really grappling with the fact that we won't have Jeff Goodman's validation and it's really hurting me inside. And I just, it, I don't know how to work it's through tearing this. You up. I don't know how to process this. I mean, I thought Missouri was, you know, just a top 50 potentially Kim Pong team, but I, you know, I thought maybe just maybe we could earn the 24th place in Jeff Goodman's daily update of the top 25 used for an engagement tool at his recent startup. I thought maybe, just maybe, and that dream died within five minutes of tip-off. And I don't know what to do, Sam. I'm honestly lost. It went downhill fast, um, and it allowed the uh, national media to uh, to crow a little bit about... The dog pile started potential. quickly. <laughs> and and Matt, you, you may be surprised uh, to hear me say this, but uh, um, I think like Missouri also like didn't play well. I think you you give credit uh, to your opponent. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Kansas played well. You expect Kansas to play well, uh, but I actually thought like Kansas played really well. Um, they, like it, it's yeah. It's difficult for most teams, even with the lackadaisical defense that Missouri was playing, to to hit eleven shots in a row. Uh, Kansas did that, um, and and really like if you if you go back and just sort of like watch a lot of the turnovers, so many of the turnovers that that Missouri committed were not really like forced by terrific defense. It was just uh, like I I would point it out in. I can't remember if it was the pour over or study hall, but like the opening tip, Missouri wins it. Nick Nick Honor, uh, their sure-handed point guard, just throws a lot to nowhere from like half court. <laughs> yeah, like I I think Noah Carter was in the area, but not really looking for it. Sails over his head, goes out of bounds. Kansas gets the ball. Um, 
And it was like it was almost like right at that moment. I'm like, oh yeah, they're 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 too revved up for this, and that like this is this is this is gonna be tough. Yeah, it, so much of what happened here, I I just felt was Kansas getting to dictate terms in a lot of ways, and you know I thought. You know, to me, the tension had been going into the week was Missouri wants to play fast, but Bill Self's teams have played fast in recent years. It was just who was going to be dictating the nature of that tempo. Was it going to be Missouri, you know, creating a lot of live ball turnovers and really getting out and running? Or was it going to be Kansas doing a good job, and they did this last year too, of getting on the glass, getting secondary breaks and pushing? Because then that starts from a place where Kansas is really comfortable. Kansas can, you know, do what they always do, which is be aggressive on the ball. They were particularly aggressive early on when Missouri tried to run ball screen action. They were at the level of the screen and really trying to gum things up and get into Missouri. And Missouri just couldn't get anything out of its base offense. They'd get a shot up and Kansas would grab and then they'd go. And really the breakdown here was, you know, transition defense. And and that has been something that Missouri has struggled with at times. And, you know, teams that are rated lower than 200 and Kim Palm can't really punish you for that. Kansas can. And that was really what happened here. Kansas dictated how the game was played fast. Missouri didn't. And credit to Kansas for shot making early on. Missouri was certainly giving them ample Quality looks at the rim, so that helps, but it just felt like this was a game where from the start, Kansas was fine with it being fast, but they were going to say, this is how we're going to play fast. And Missouri could never really mount a counter argument to that at all. And and that's how the game played out. Yeah, absolutely. Like when Kansas had the opportunity to run, like they ran hard. Um, but if the opportunity wasn't there, they weren't, they weren't forcing things. And I, I feel like there was a lot of times where Missouri was, trying to force the issue, trying to kind of play the way that they wanted to play, uh, you know, but that, that was difficult, you know, cause even like, you know, the hit aheads that they're kind of used to, like Kansas was able to sort of disrupt that. I mean, I think, I think they had sort of like two, uh, you know, interceptions basically of, of, you know, like long passes over the top and, uh, you know, basically understanding that like once, you know, and, I think this is something that Missouri is going to have to kind of contend with as they get into SEC play is the their defense is is not good and and they struggle with uh rim protection and so for that reason I think teams are basically going to bail mostly on offensive Kansas rebounds. Kansas is rotating two back. Yeah, like like we're going to make sure we're going to guard the you know guard the the rim defensively. Um and that way that you you can attack us over the top because that's one thing that like you know Missouri has really done well this year is is have kind of that ability to sort of leak out um, and even when they they did leak out there was somebody that was deep enough to sort of disrupt that and I mean I wrote about that you know in Sean East a lot of Sean East's passer looked like he's just throwing post routes to Demoy Hodge on leak outs he got none of those on Saturday and compounding that too is Missouri. Like transition defense is about effort in the sense of like, you've got to sprint back. You've got to bust it back. You stop the ball, you build a wall to keep it on one side of the floor. Then you start trying to sort out your cross matches and you get into it. Missouri just, you know, will have a tendency where they will just lose track of dudes. They, and they will lose track of dudes deep in that corner, usually on the weak side of the floor. And so somebody will flood to the middle to stop the ball, which is good, but they will lose track of the guy in the corner and you'll have just baseline cuts or kickouts. And now, you know, all that's out the window or sometimes, you know, yesterday there were two or three times on Saturday where Missouri just didn't get back at all. You know, I'm looking at, you know, the one thing, you know, we do when we go through and do the verdict is we, is Matt Watkins and I, you know, we try and, and do basically individual spreadsheets of clips, and then I put them all together and I tally them up. By my count, Missouri had 11 errors in transition defense. I think Kansas scored on like nine of them. Like, you just can't do that against Kansas. You just can't give Bill Self's team 
nine quality scoring opportunities on the break. You're not going to win a game that way. And the wor- and then the thing about that is, but Kansas, like you said, was really good about understanding when to get out of it and when to get into their offense. Missouri wasn't. I feel like, and I've said that before, where it feels like Missouri doesn't quite have that good sense of when to flow out of their break and just get into their stuff quickly. Like you'll see a lot of times where there's two or three or four seconds elapsed where they're kind of like, we still going? Are we going to back this out? Like Kansas doesn't. Kansas recognizes instantaneously. It's not there. Let's get out of it and let's get into action. And I just felt like that was, it's those little kind of things that you watch throughout the course of the game that just tell you that Kansas is much more comfortable with where the pace is at. And, you know, much more comfortable with like, you know, what the, the approach is. And, and I also think like that early run, um, does so much for what you want to do. Like once you get out and ahead, then the other team, and I already, like I already felt that Missouri was pressing. Oh yeah. Um, and, and not, not like full court pressing. Like they were, they were really, really trying. And I think you saw this a lot, or I saw this a lot the moment like Trey Gamillion hit the floor. Um, I mean, Trey was quite frankly, like awful. This is as, as bad as we've seen him play. Um, but he was fighting his ass off, and I think like when you're when you you see somebody who's pressing, you see like those kinds of things where they're almost like playing too hard to make up for the fact that they're not playing well. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, and I think like that that's what you saw from him. Uh, I think you saw some of that from like DeAndre Golston. Some from Noah Carter too. Yeah, so from Noah Carter, got they were just they were, they were pressing so hard they wanted to sort of make the plays for, uh, you know, for their team, and it just like it was just kind of making it worse. Um, and that's that's what happens when you kind of get behind early in in this kind of like rivalry competitive game, is you know guys that maybe aren't used to the environment are really really gonna start like amping up and and really at that point you need you need somebody that's able to kind of dial it back and um I don't know like if there's a there's a, a you know a nice thing we did see some you know some good stuff from uh you know from uh uh Nick Honor and and Demoy Hodge and sort of that category being able to sort of like you know play with better pace uh I thought Aiden Shaw uh handled himself pretty well i mean especially considering that pretty early on he he got met at the rim which i don't think he's uh he's quite used to um yeah that, that was a first know, with, for with his athletic that was a baptism yeah. moment for him and kj adams was the pastor and i i thought for a lot you know the, there are still the things you know when you go back on a rewatch where you can nitpick it you know, Aiden still overhelps, especially on baseline low drives. He's going to sink really quickly to the midline. He'll give out a kick out behind. You know, sometimes he's a half step behind. But the one thing he does is he can get into Grady. He can get into Jalen Wilson. He's a guy who can measure distance. He's a guy who can stick with those guys off movement and, you know, really crowd their airspace and I think make them uncomfortable. And I think that that's sort of the thing you look at here is, you know, we talked about after the game is Aiden looked like he belonged out there from a physical perspective, from a movement perspective. You know, it sounds really wonky, but just you watch him move with guys like Jalen Wilson or KJ Adams and Grady Dick and you go, oh, yeah, he's one of those dudes. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, he's making some errors defensively. But man, when he's locked in and honed in and he's trailing and he's engaged. He, he's going to be really good. He's going to be really, really good. And I thought offensively, you know, for such a young guy, he didn't press the issue. I thought he did a really nice job. He found some lobs. He found some putbacks. You know, he made a good cut. You know, he's, that's been the thing that impresses me. Is I've never once said, man, Aiden's pressing offensively. He's really like trying to show people he can create or do it off or go get his. He just, he, he's always kind of in flow with what you need. And the defensive errors are going to get cleaned up. But he he looked really, really good, and I was heartened by that. Um, otherwise, just it was it's really hard. I mean, it's we're going to search for silver linings, but the defense, I feel like, is is just the obvious elephant in the room. The half court defense was was not good. Um, I'll, I'll let you take it because I could go on for way too long about it. But just 
your thoughts overall on half court defense in this one, Sam? <laughs> well, and it it's one of those things like we've been kind of talking. I don't I don't know if we've addressed it so much on the podcast. We might have like hit on it a little bit uh, last pod when we talked about like middle ball screens for them. Um, Certainly pertinent now. I just <laughs> yeah, it, it's like it, but we've we've talked about it privately. It's just like man, they really really struggle on middle ball screens, and you can see it against. Any one of these teams that, that ran them, I, I think, you know, Penn was one of the more prominent uh, teams to sort of run that and sort of, uh, you know, abuse Missouri. I know Wichita State did a little bit. Um, you know, Missouri's in like a really precarious position because they don't really have that back line help. Um, they don't have any rim protection. They don't have anybody on the weak side who, who can step up and block a shot at the rim. Um Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. That being said. You got to tag rollers. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't really know what they're trying to accomplish in, in, in middle ball screens. Like, I, I feel like if it's a side ball screen, like, they do try to kind of trap. They ice it a little bit. They'll either, they don't really but, trap it. They'll, they'll down it. It's not like the no middle style, but they'll at least soft show to keep that guy from turning hard, but it's not a true no middle type action, but, but they'll try and keep it but on. There's like this. Yeah. There's just sort of like this soft trap that happens out <laughs> at the top of the key. And it just leaves the roller like wide open. Um, it's like, I mean, there were so many times they got hurt on that. I, it's, it's one of those things that if they don't figure something out, like, cause a middle ball screen is, is a prominent, uh, offensive uh, weapon for a lot of teams in the SEC. Um, you know they're they're gonna have to get it figured out. And I realize like we we've talked about this, you know the limitations of the roster and and the things that they're probably doing in order to maybe make up a little bit for the fact that they they don't really have that backline help. Um, you know okay so they're you know they're overplaying one pass away. They're they're maybe gambling a little bit more. Um, you know, but like there are times where you would see like, you know, for for me, like I I noticed Sean East multiple times just seemed you know lost off the ball and way or way uh, overplaying, way like not even like almost online upline distance to the point where he can't see balls, right. man. And KU's trained; they're just gonna bolt on it. They're gonna go, and he got beat three or yeah. four times off those. So it's positioning and, right. and stuff like that with him. Are you talking about uh, on some of the back yeah. doors? Yeah. So yeah, he really struggled in the back door. Um, I was I was kind of talking off the ball, like as a secondary, you know, two pass yeah, away yeah. guy. So he has been sitting um, lost out there. Like yeah, there was one ball screen. Like you know, they basically did that little soft trap. They sort of lobbed it to KJ Adams, who just wide open around the rim. Yeah. And and Sean East just sort of like stood there, like wasn't quite sure where he was supposed to be, and it's like, like I I realize nobody wants to get dunked on, but like you, you gotta you gotta go meet the roller. Like somebody has to get in front of the roller, be around where that pass is being uh, played, and and Missouri just wasn't wasn't there. And I think the thing that's frustrating for me is, again, we're not coaches, we're not paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to formulate game plans, but I do pay 20 bucks a month for Synergy, and when I pull it up, the number one source of touches for K.J. Adams is rolling. It's like that's his thing. K.J. Adams is not a creator. He is a hyper-athletic dude who can get up and put one on your head. He is physical, He, you know, but he understands his role, and it's not to put the ball on the deck. It's to set a good screen, roll hard, make himself available, and finish that way. And to not tag him. And the worst part about it is, too, Missouri had a tendency, too, where they would react late. Two guys would roll to the middle, so it's two to one, and then he just picks out a shooter in the corner. Like, it just became a cascade at times. And 
I don't know what they're going to do in ball screens because do they want to get into drop coverage? Do they want to try and do that? I don't know. You know, do they want to try and hem the dribbler in and, you know, give time to you know, recover back? That doesn't seem like this team's MO, especially if Dennis is intent on, you know, ball pressure or having, you know, trap actions or having a guy come off and gamble from maybe a guy in the slot and get a steal from behind. But if you've got a competent point guard and DeWan Harris is more than a competent point guard, they're going to eat you alive in the ball screens. And well, and I'd also kind of point out, so originally we were kind of hoping that, um, that CJ Moore would be able to make it on, you know, CJ, uh, a little under the weather, so he, he couldn't make it. Um, but, you know, he was at the game, and he, he does spend a lot of time. I realize, you know, we're Mizzou fans and probably not super interested in reading a lot of Kansas coverage, and CJ does provide a lot of Kansas coverage. He's he's kind of a regional writer for The Athletic. Um, and, you know, Kansas is the best program in the region. So, um, but I, I read his, uh, you know, post-game wrap-up, uh, and one of the things that I, I he sort of pointed to, uh, and you know Bill Self, you know talked about in the post game press conferences, you know there's a lot of teams that do what they can to kind of ignore uh, DeWan Harris offensively. That's dumb. Well, I I mean I just like as far as like well, you know challenge him to shoot, yeah. like you're you're going to drop off of ball screens. Um, you're, you're not going to get up and, and, and pressure him because, you know, like he's just a guy, he's, he's, he's not easily pressured. He's, he's very cool headed with the ball and he, you know, takes care of the ball. Um, and Missouri didn't do that. Missouri played how they play. So on one side, it's just like, you kind of admire a team that says, this is what we do. We're going to do it no matter who you are. Um, but at the same time, like if, if you're, (laughs) If you're getting ball screened to death and, you know, one of the guys running, uh, you know, as the handler in the ball screen is likely koozie winner. Sort of a, yeah. Like, like a non shooter, but like a really great passer, uh, you know, great vision, a guy that's really looking to make plays for his teammates. You probably like want to make sure that you're clogging up the passing lanes more so than, you know, taking away uh, his, his three point shot. Yeah. Right, <laughs> and here's the thing: even under pressure, like if you look at it, I went and looked this up afterwards. It, even under duress and in traps, like I think Dewan Harris is only turning the ball over twelve percent of the time. He took two shots. Well, that's the thing: like he's only going to take two shots. But even if you <laughs> run the trap at him, he's not coughing the ball up. Like it's it's yeah. like to me the thing here is I think like in Kansas's system, and you know they're like a lot of things. They you know they don't teach you to read the drop guy in the covers they teach you to read the backside helper who's going to be tagging well it's an easy read when there's no tag guy on the backside you just give it to the guy rolling and it goes there like i think that that's sort of the thing i thought missouri was really reliant on its ability to disrupt the Juan harris the point of attack and i just think that's the wrong calculus there's too much tape there's too much data that says it's, you can't do that. And so I think you've really got to decide your coverages are going to be, we're going to take away his angles. We're going to disguise where that tagger is coming from. Maybe we're going to be a little bit more gap sound here just to, you know, make him have to shoot because he can't come off and force help. And like, I get playing the way you want to play and, and I'm fine with that. And to a certain extent, but once you get into the position that Missouri was in, you know, where you're at the under 16, it's starting to really get away from you. I think you got to start asking yourself, okay, today is just about triaging and let's get stabilized. Let's get some stops and some kills come down and run good offense. Cause I just think that Missouri got behind the eight ball and they just, you know, they, there was just no way they were going to catch up and then they didn't adjust defensively and you know, just didn't give themselves a chance. I think to really cut into the lead very much. Yeah. And also, um, struggling to you know make offense work on their own end which has been um, a looming thing you know, some, too yeah i mean like it's one of those things where um i mean you're, you're gonna have bad shooting nights uh if you have a bad shooting night you kind of want to get to the free throw line missouri you know missed they don't get to the free throw line as often as some teams you would think for rim pressure 
that they apply. Uh, yeah, but but they missed eight free throws. That too. Um, like Nick Honor one for two. Uh, sorry. Uh, I was looking at three point there. Uh, Demoy Hodge was three for six. Um, you know, Trey Gamillion was two of five. Yeah. So I was thinking, like, if you're looking at yeah the the overall performance, I absolutely think Missouri can play a lot better than they did. At each team's best, Kansas is is better. Kansas is you know more talented. They're not particularly deep, um, but y- you're going to be hard pressed to find, um, you know, a, a like an overall better top four. Uh, like you know, Grady Dick, Jalen Wilson, uh, you know, Kevin McCuller, and Dewan Harris. That's a, that's a great foursome. And if KJ Adams is figuring it out, um. Then they could be really dangerous. Yeah. Um, you know, Bill Self really only played two other dudes. Yeah. Um, I mean, Yusufu saw fifteen yeah. minutes. Pettiford saw twelve minutes. Um, they didn't need to play Uday yeah. very much. They didn't need to go to a traditional five very much. Well, yeah, and like you know, I think there's there are going to be a lot of teams that uh, are going to give Missouri you know trouble because they have you know good traditional. Uh, you know, center and and Missouri is going to struggle to defend that. Um, you know, but I also think that like if if th- this is the way you're comfortable playing and Kansas is comfortable playing smaller, um, and you're more talented than the other team, then like why why should you change what you do? And and very clearly, like it was it was clearly on that they didn't need to. Um, you know, but that that being said, like I do want to say like. You know, I don't. I don't know that this necessarily moved the needle a whole lot on um, on what I sort of think Missouri is and what they can do this season. Um, you know, I still think a good season for this team would, you know, be in the bubble conversation, um, regardless of whether or not you make the NCAA tournament. Hopefully, land in the NIT. Uh, and that was, I think, always kind of the goal. Like, this was always going to be a building block season. And I feel like we've always kind of been measured with that and understanding that uh, the <laughs> the 9-0 start was a lot based on, you know, the paper thin, uh, uh, you know, collection of teams that they were, they were playing. I mean, yeah, the Wichita State win on the road is nice. And those are the teams that Missouri is going to have to kind of beat going yeah. forward. You know, it's 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 not this year was never whether or not you could compete with, uh, you know, Kansas or Kentucky or Arkansas or Tennessee. Um, you know, there's a whole like two thirds of the SEC that are teams with severe flaws. Can you beat those teams? Okay. Um, I, you can just go up and down you know, the league right now, um, you know, Missouri is, I think, what, nine, ninth now? Eighth or ninth, yeah, um, net, if you, if you based on net. But if you, like, if you go and you, like, you watch other teams, like, I mean, like, all right, Florida just got uh, the crap kicked out of them by UConn. And West Virginia. Um, and West Virginia. They they were not competitive in either of those games. Um LSU got down big against Wake and rallied, but Wake is, you know, almost lost back-to-back games against, uh, you know, their only real tough opponents this year. I haven't watched enough of Mississippi State, but their best win is over number thirty-nine Marquette. Like they've got two wins around fortieth that have got them in the poll. But if you look at their offensive metrics, I don't. I think they're going to really struggle to score at times. Um, to me, you're, you know, I didn't see the end of, you know, Texas A&M, Oregon, but it's Oregon State, but Oregon State was really limiting Texas A&M. And, and I think that to your point, and I noted this to somebody who like commented on pour over, I don't judge Missouri this season based on what they do against Kansas or most years based on, you know, because Kansas is Kansas and Missouri is, you know, historically not as good as Kansas. And that pains me to say, as I think it would anyone that's. A- well, I, I'd also point out that, like, you know, Kansas was always really good. They were always a, a 
you know, blue blood level program. And Bill Self has cemented that program as a top five program. Yep. You know, even under Roy, they were not consistently top five or, or, you know, top 10. They would have years. They would drop down in like, the, you know, the teens and 20s and 30s. And sometimes, you know, like Missouri would kick their ass. And like, that's, that's sort of how it was. But Bill Self has um, cemented them. Has cemented them and ele- elevated uh, what was already there. I mean, the number of times that they won the Big Twelve in a row is like that's incredible. Uh, people don't like, and that's a great league, consistently top so. two league. It and no one's here to say. I guess what I'm saying is, I judge Missouri based on what they do against Wichita State, what they're going to try and do against UCF, what they're going to try and do in January against Iowa State, what they're going to have to face in the Mississippi schools and LSU and Florida and Texas A&M, you know, teams between 40th and like 85th in Ken Palm. That, that's the measuring stick for me is those games because you flip a couple of results, and we talked about this in preseason, you flip a couple of those results, it's the difference between you being 8th or ninth, or 11th or 12th in this league or being in the NIT or sitting at home. Like, it's going to, you know, they're going to have another fun time with Illinois, who I thought Illinois is a worse matchup for this team than Kansas was because they've got bigs who are mobile bigs who are bigger than Missouri's guys. So, like, to me, the, there are really 10 games that matter. We saw one against Wichita State. We're going to see one this weekend, and then we're going to see one after kind of the first stretch run after the first five or six games in, in SEC play. but. I think what this game has done is it's sort of, I think, put Missouri and sort of fans in a weird spot where, you know, no matter how much caution we said should be exercised in evaluating the 9-0 start, people were happy. And, and I'm not going to tell people not to be happy that Missouri's winning basketball games or playing in an entertaining fashion. I'm not going to tell you to hope, to not hope that Missouri is going to somehow beat Kansas and be 10-0 and have this, you know, fairy tale start i'm not going to tell you that but i'm not but just because that doesn't transpire doesn't mean that we're at the opposite end of the spectrum where this is the 14th team in the sec it's not and you know there are 10 games that i think are better barometers for us to look at and to gauge you know what year one looks like and the thing is if people are disappointed that Missouri wins 16 or 17 games this year after winning just 12 last year and looking abjectly awful and probably 25 of them, you know, I'm not sure what that says about expectation management anyway, because to me, that's, that's immense progress. It, it means they're probably going to finish in the top 16 Kimpom, which is just a 70 spot jump in one off season. That that's fantastic. So they they can still make that happen. We'll see if it transpires, but I don't think people should give into the temptation to suddenly become defeatist after, you know, sort of being at the opposite end of the spectrum after the 9-0 start. Yeah, and we always sort of like tag this little section where they went from Kansas and, you know, like a neutral-ish site game against UCF. Uh, but then, you know, like, Illinois, Kentucky, Arkansas. That is a really, really rough stretch. Yeah. The likelihood of winning any of those games, I mean, you're really, really hoping that you can pull off a win in Florida. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, because like, like you said, Illinois is a bad matchup. Kentucky is Kentucky. Arkansas, you know, uh, Trevin Brazil, if people weren't paying attention um, towards ACL, he's out for the year. But, you know, they have Nick Smith who's come back and has looked every bit, you know, the part of a, a top five pick that uh, a lot of people sort of expected him to be. Um, re- Vanderbilt has not been as good as I think maybe some of us thought they might be. A&M has been um, weird. A&M has been weird, but, the, but A&M on the road and Florida on the road. So you have Arkansas, A&M, and Florida on the road. Like, this is really, like, where you – hope that Missouri has the kind of leadership to where uh you know a stretch where it looks very possible for them to just win two games lose a lot of games 
uh, that they can scratch and claw and figure out a way to like win like like four of these like next what ten games. Yeah, you want to like try and get you want to try and get UCF. You need to get Vandy at home. You probably need to split the A and M and Florida game, and then hope maybe you can pick off Arkansas or Alabama and Columbia. Like the- yeah, so I'm looking at at Arkansas, Alabama, and Ole Miss. I think if you're just kind of going through like all the projected losses, um, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten out of their next eleven are projected uh, by Kempom to be losses. Um, you know, so like, you know, again, like. This is all right. So they're thirty-seven percent uh, to win at Texas A&M, thirty-five percent to win at Florida. Um, you know, but those teams are fifty-seven and fifty-five at Kempom. Missouri right now is sixty. There's not a huge difference. If you can take one of those teams out of what they want to do, you can win that game. Yeah. But uh, I just think it's. The visceral thing of the visceral experience of watching Kansas beat your brains in is going to make people, I think, skeptical here. But there's this is always sort of what we thought. Now, the question is going to be what does this roster look like? And, you know, I think people weren't wrong to be optimistic once Isaiah Mosley signed on. You know, we've said that, you know, before he joined this team, it was a roster that was probably not much better talent wise, but it just fit with what Dennis Gates wanted to do. And that fit alone was probably going to get Missouri three or four more wins than it did last year. I understand how expectations got elevated when Isaiah Mosley joined the ranks, but right now the Missouri team we're watching. And if you even break down lineups, is the one we thought we were going to see without Isaiah Mosley. You know, functionally, he is the seventh or eighth guy in this rotation at this point. And, you know, this is the team that, you know, I you know was thinking in May or June we were going to see. And I had that team probably at six SEC wins. So the question's going to be, and, you know, I don't know how much we want to talk about it or feel comfortable talking about it, but what, you know, the Mosley situation means for this roster. Because I think you can't entirely dismiss it. Because I think it changes, you know, he's probably worth three or four wins potentially for this team. So it's going to be interesting to see how quickly they can get whatever this transition is accomplished and and, and get him back. In in the words of Dennis Gates, the transition. Which was some, Dennis Um, seems like a nice guy. He seems very forthright in, in some ways, but that answer Saturday was gobbledygook, absolute gobbledygook. That provides no clarity on the situation, but it made for a good, you know, two or three sentences that somebody could stick in a story. Yeah, and I, I think that like, and until there's more public knowledge, I mean, and, and like you've heard rumblings, I've heard rumblings, like we've we've all kind of like heard that there are things going on behind the scenes. Um, you know, I I, I don't like getting into that stuff because it's it's not in the public sphere. Uh, and so we don't have confirmation that like XYZ is... Nobody will go off background at this point. Yeah, like we, like we don't have that full knowledge. So, th- you know, there's no sense in commenting on something that we we don't know for a fact is, uh, is happening or not happening or whatever. Um, but, you know, very clearly, like this is sort of like a, a little bit of a cloud that is is hanging over the program because... The the one thing that I thought that we were uh, that everybody thought that we were getting with Isaiah Mosley was a guy who could help them get buckets and kind of get from stretch to stretch, um, you know, late clock and and you know a guy who can find offense when maybe the offense is is struggling and um, you know for the first nine games it wasn't important um, you know but there were definitely some some periods uh in the Kansas game where you sort of felt that if they if Mizzou just had a way of just sort of knocking this run down with a bucket like they could keep it within within distance um and they just they didn't on 
pretty much all of the occasions. Uh, you know, like I just sort of think like the, you know, the first sort of run that you know where it it got out of hand pretty quickly. Uh, you know, it it would be nice to have like a guy like Isaiah Mosley be able to, you know, all right, just instead of this being like a nine oh run, let's let's keep it to like a nine four run. Um, you know, and, and and I think that stuff like that that you know he would be able to make a difference. Well, I mean, when I ran the numbers in lineup data, I mean it's hard, you know, because you're almost arguing a negative here, but you know, you look at swapping him and Golston out there, it probably just on the swap gets you down to 15 points. And at that point, you know, nobody's like, you know, we're not celebrating at Harpo's a 15 point loss, but it certainly helps keep the net rating <laughs> respectable. You know, it certainly helps keep, you know, all the other metrics that you want respectable. But I think the other thing too, is to your point about having a guy there after the seven Oh run to start the second half when Missouri gets in the hole, from about the 17-minute mark to about the seven-minute mark. Actually, outscored Kansas by nine. It was ugly. They were not playing a transition. There were not a lot of live ball turnovers. They were just having to to get grimy with it, but they were trimming and trimming and trimming. And they get it to 15 with about 6.30 left. And outside shot of putting game pressure on Kansas. They get a stop out of the zone, which I thought, again, was really effective and you know, I would look at going one three one for longer stretches, actually, because I think they do a really nice job at kind of trapping out of it. But they get a stop, they come down. Nick Honor gets a side ball screen, same kind of side ball screen that you know Isaiah Mosley would get. Man goes under. Nick rightly pulls the trigger, shorts it off front of the rim. Jalen Wilson gets the board, pushes, pulls up, hits a jumper. That's it. Ball game. It's it's over at that point. What if you have Isaiah Mosley in that situation taking the shot? That's a, you know, instead of a five point swing, now you're at 12. And now there's game pressure. And now the building's coming around. You've got six minutes left. And the lineups that have done well with Mosley have been when he's gone to four guards and they've been able to get the pressure turned up. It's that type of stuff. So I don't, it's not even would Mosley have given them 25. It's in the moment you need him to get a shot to start putting game pressure back on Bill, back on Kansas and start getting the building into it, he's not there. And, and I think that, that that's sort of something that, you know, again, I can't prove to it it's arguing a negative, but it's something that sticks out. It's why he was brought here. It's what his job is functionally for this team, and it's just not happening at this point. And, you know, I, I applaud, you know, DeAndre Golson for doing what he can. He's not going to tell Dennis Gates not to start him or play him 20 minutes a game. But you look at the lineup data, and it's it's pretty conclusive that you know outside you know DeAndre Golson plays really well with the starting five, but the other thirty five minutes a game his lineups are barely break even, and you know Isaiah Mosley even though they've been in blowouts is you know plus thirty in net rating it's it's substantial, and so I think that that's the thing they've got to get to is whatever this transition is it needs to be done soon so you can get that guy back. Because I think it's really going to ease a lot of that pressure too on this team in some ways. I think psychologically, you're talking about them pressing to know, okay, we've got Isaiah here. Let's just go do our job. Let's be locked in and let's go play. So I think that there's, you know, some very practical, you know, data driven things. But then I think you kind of get into the area of armchair psychology a little bit. But uh, no doubt, I think having him back is going to be really, really important. And the sooner the better. So, uh, Turning the page a, a little bit, um, UCF is uh, is seven and two and looking a, a little more stout um, than maybe we had previously thought they might be. They started the season eighty uh, fifth in Ken Palm, uh, promptly lost double overtime game to two hundred eighteenth rated UNC Asheville, uh, then beat Florida State, who everybody's beating, uh, beat Western Illinois. Uh, took a really good uh, Oklahoma State team to overtime and won that game. Uh, beat Santa Clara, Not another Not bad team. N- another very solid team. Um, Evansville, they lost to Miami. Uh, folks who aren't aware, Miami's pretty tough. Um, 
They've got uh, Jim Laranega still down there. Uh, the old man's still churning. Carlton State on his retirement retirement plan in Miami Dade. <laughs> Carlton's actually pretty sneaky in the whack uh, with Billy Clyde. And yeah, yeah, Billy Gillespie's down there in Charlton. They they beat them um, and and handily, uh, and and they also took down Sanford. So um, Sanford was an overtime uh, game at home. So this is a team that like it looks like they can defend ish. Um, they did give up seventy seven to to Sanford and um, ninety five to Asheville, but it looks like they've kind of figured some things out. They do play uh, Ole Miss here uh, on Wednesday, so we're recording this Monday night, December twelfth. On December fourteenth, they play Ole Miss on the road. We'll get a good look at at sort of how they look against um, a, a clear SEC rival and in, in the in the Rebels, uh, and then of course the the game. Is like it's like eleven o'clock in the morning, right? Yeah, it's an early tip. It's like the Orange Bowl Classic or something in Miami. Yeah, so that that tip time kind of stinks, but uh, at least you get it out of the way. Um, and, and so like this is a game where, yeah, again, like earlier in the season, you know, it was really kind of looking like this would be a much, I don't know, easier game to win. Um. And now it's looking like uh, I think actually, according to uh, Ken Palm, uh, UCF is favored by a point. It's it's going to be a weird one because can you know UCF wants to grind it. The three hundred fifty third tempo. Um, they play real slow in the half court. Um, they are n- not very good offensively. They're one hundred twenty fourth. They turn it over a whole lot, but those steals tend to be dead ball turnovers. Um, a lot of dead ball turnovers. Uh, they throw the ball away. Yeah, a lot. Uh, we're, we're used to seeing <laughs> that. Um, I, yeah, this this profile looks very familiar to me, Sam. <laughs> I have I've seen this before. So the question is, you know, even if Missouri is a little bit lackadaisical, can this team capitalize defensively? They're really good. So it's going to be Missouri wanting to impose pace, and again, who can do that the best? You know, both teams are. You know, sort of willing to dig into their bench. Both teams lack a lot of continuity here. It's a transfer-heavy team, you know, down and down there as well. Michael Durr is a big body at seven foot, but he only plays about forty percent of minutes. Lahat Theon, um, Missouri saw him last year with Utah. Those are the, but they're not like elite bigs. They're just there to rebound and provide size. Uh, Taylor Hendricks is a pretty good freshman for them. Uh, his brother, he and his brother both committed there. C.J. Kelly, I believe, is a mass UMass transfer. Pretty average for the most part. He's you know about the same as he was last year. Not really shooting the ball particularly well. Um, but this is uh, C.J. Kelly's fourth fourth school. school. Yeah, yeah, fourth school. Uh, you know, at least he got the destination right on the last one. Uh, so this is you know I think Ithiel Horton is yeah he's a. He's a pit transfer who got out there again, not really playing very well offensively. Darius Johnson is a sophomore for him there. You know, you could argue he's probably their best offensive threat, but this is a team where, you know, Donnie Dawkins is going to hope they can turn this into a, into a meat grinder and close late. You know, if you're Missouri, this is a semi road game. I think in a weird way, a defensive minded game is going to be good for this team. And that's sort of how Wichita State wanted to play is, you know, to get down and, you know, make it a, a game where you have to grind it. I think Missouri's going to be fine with that. If they can force the live ball turnovers and get back to that, then I think they're going to be able to carve out, you know, the possession gap that we saw, you know, against some other teams. And it won't really matter what UCF does offensively. They just won't have the possession tally to get back in it. So, it's a game that I think Missouri needs to win. Um, it'll probably be a quad two win, you know, depending on what the net is. It could be a quad one one in a neutral site game, but it, it's definitely big for Missouri. To, this is the kind of win you need to pick up if you think you're going to go eighteen and thirteen or nineteen and twelve. So, uh, I'm actually sort of more interested in what they do in this one than what they did in Kansas because I think it's, as we've mentioned a couple of times, I think it's more relevant to the to this team sort of ceiling this year. Yeah, like it was it was nice to see um you know Mizzou Arena packed and and people into the game and um you know student section you know full and chanting even even though it, if it got kind of quiet. Um I mean I I think like the play of the game for me was the uh you know the alley-oop dunk 
the Shaw, which of course Kansas take time out. And it was just one of those moments where you sort of remember like the potential of like what the program can be if if Dennis Gates is kind of get this going. Um well, this year one. You know, but it, but but like you were kind of saying, like it was nice to see those things. It was nice to see fans interested. But it was always more likely. I know that I I picked Missouri to to win. I don't know that I ever really believe that that would be the case. I think I was just trying to be contrarian to your pick. Um, I think I saw a path to where they could win, but I, it required them really shooting the ball well. And they they did not. Yeah. Um, but this this is a game. Yeah, this is. I think if you're talking about like lining up, um, this is a maybe a better version of Wichita State in in some ways, um, at least defensively. Yeah. Uh, and and so, like, that's one of those things, like, if Missouri's getting easy opportunities in the open floor, uh, you know, if they're able to kind of, you know, keep the tempo where they want it, um, then, yeah, like, this is, this is a game where they, they should win. Um, but, you know, if this is a game in the 60s, uh, I'm, I'm not sure I'm super confident. Like I, I feel like if this was you know a Conzo Martin team, I'd feel a little better about it. <laughs> but uh, you know, like you know, Dennis Gates, um, that's not the way that they want to play. Like you know, they they want to play fast. They want to you know take quick shots, and um, and so in order to to beat a team like this, you really need to make sure that you're you're able to play your style without pressing your style. It feels like they've done that a little bit too much at times, and I mentioned the base offense earlier it really feels like this team has leaned so hard at times into playing fast. You know, the one thing I liked about watching them in the first couple of games is the bait you got, we saw long stretches where they were running, you know, the Princeton kind of triangle, you know, modern kind of take on those concepts coming out of, you know, secondary breaks and looked really good. And there were stretches where they were, Know, getting from a primary to the secondary action and really working the offense. And it's really felt probably since the Mississippi Valley State game where it really feels like they, they've worked the offense less. And they haven't had to because they've been able to create so many live ball turnovers, you know, that, you know, you can kind of get a little slip shot in the half court. You know, when you get into garbage time and you're trying to work it, you don't have to be quite as on point and it really felt like even at Wichita State what saved them wasn't you know running you know their pinch based stuff it wasn't running you know some of their concepts that they will use at times it was they had to run middle ball screens they had to go to the most fundamental thing that gets used now and it was very different because you know they just couldn't get anything out of what they had done for most of the stretches against Southeast Missouri State again we saw the live ball turnovers come back but then against Kansas, they oftentimes wouldn't get out of the first action before they would start pressing and go ISO hunting. And, you know, I think to a certain extent, you know, this is really wonky and really lame, really lame. And, you know, fans will say if they win playing in the open floor, fine. But I kind of just want to see them get back to that identity where they can come down and say, all right, they're back. Let's just run our stuff and get a good shot. So I, I kind of like to see that, just them getting back into that rhythm in the half court reestablishing that identity a little bit because I think they're really going to need that, you know, come SEC play. So that's sort of the thing I want to see is it, just a little bit of having to stretch themselves offensively again in the half court and kind of reestablish that identity. Oh, since it's uh, the only game this week, do you want to make a prediction? I think they'll get the win. I, I you know, I, I tend to think that if this were in Orlando, I'd feel a little bit different, but it's a neutral site game, semi away. Dennis and Charlton have coached in this event before with Florida State. You know, yeah, I'm I'm not sure UCF travels all that. Yeah, well it's 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 yeah, game. it's not traveling all the time. You know, these guys have played in this event; they kind of know what it's about. I just think you know they'll they'll be able to sort of make that work, and I think Missouri's got guys that can go make offense when they need to. I'm not sure, you know. Hopefully Isaiah Mosley plays and gets his sea legs back. But I still think Missouri's got guys relative to UCF that can go create offense 
I think that's the difference there. I think they've also got the ability, like we've said, you know, a bunch to, to create some live ball turnovers and really give themselves an advantage. I think it'll be close. I could see it. It'll pro- I see it being something like 82, 75. I think they're going to be able to get the pace up and they're going to, they're going to give up some buckets because that's what this team does. But I think ultimately, <laughs> you know, th- they're going to be able to, to manufacture enough offense to get a win. I'm going to say Des Moines goes nine of 12 from three. And this is a, a, a blowout. Um, again, uh, <laughs> Not sure I believe that, but that's I think that's what I'm hoping. Um I would I would love to see uh a, another fun Des Moines game. He he's just a fun player. I, I enjoy watching him. I like his energy. Um if not Des Moines, um Nola could use a good game. He could he could use a good game, I think, where he's especially where that pick and pop is working for him. He's kind of getting into that range last year where I think you know, his footwork and kind of his, you know, release, everything's working a little bit too quick. I just wanted to see, early on, he seemed, you know, just a little bit more in rhythm, a little bit slower, not too slow, but just seemed like more in control getting into those pick and pops. And I see some of those drop for him because then I think it really sets up what he does well off the bounce with bully drives and then making some reads. So I'd like to see him just kind of get the jumper back a little bit going on Saturday. Like when he's kind of able to like you know create that right angle and and yeah. you know like a little sort of running bank shot from about you know ten feet out yeah yeah um that's a that's a fun little play that he he he's pretty good at uh okay so we're gonna get out of here um so I I since you made a prediction um I don't know that a blowout is my official prediction um are, are, did, you did a score. Right, you said eighty two seventy five, something there. Um. Well, you know, since uh, since I'm the the optimist of the the two of us, I I I, I think I'll push that to eighty eight seventy one, um, because Des Moines Hodge goes uh eight for eleven from three point range. Um. No, I I think I agree with you that I the uh. To me, like the key is going to be live ball turnovers. If they're able to kind of get those and and get out and run, I I think this is a game um, where they're capable of shooting the ball well. They're you know they can shoot the ball well. If they do shoot the ball well, uh, this is something where they should be able to kind of control um, their opponent a little bit. So hopefully that's what happens. Um, if not, we will be back uh, next week to talk about it. Anything else you wanted to hit on before we get out of here? Not really. Uh, you know I. It's good to have some stand- games to talk about, uh, even if the results aren't what we want. I-, I like watching games where I really have to actually think about what the opponent's going to do and, you know, where I have to be engaged <laughs> in-, in really watching, like I said last week, the uh, stretch of Mississippi Valley State to Houston Christian w- w- was brutal. <laughs> and I'm-, I'm glad we've... The score lines were fun, but I- just from, like, a basketball watching perspective, uh, it-, it got to be a little bit repetitive at times. So I'm glad that we're getting into good teams now. Yeah. And it always felt that like they were, uh, like they were playing some horrible opponent, right. At the time, another really great basketball game was happening too. So it's just like, Oh man, like I could be watching this, this other game that's competitive and interesting. Um, while Missouri is just blowing the doors off Houston Christian. Uh, all right. So we are going to get out of here. We will be back. Um, next week with uh with another episode we'll review what they they did against UCF we will do a little prep on the Illini I'll go more into depth on what uh the Illini are about um so thank you everybody for tuning in if you uh are subscribed to this podcast wherever you uh download and listen to your podcast um you will also get episodes of before the box score uh they are previewing a, a bowl game and talking transfer portals. So there's a lot going on uh, for Eli Drinkwitz and the, uh, and the football Tigers. I uh, believe that they are recording on Wednesday, so you should have a, a brand new spanking new podcast uh, Thursday. Thursday morning for your for morning commute. Is it people still commute to work? Um, I don't. <laughs> 
yeah i i do like once every like three four months um so make sure that you head over to the the flagship rockamnation.com uh if you're still on twitter if twitter is still online which it seems less and less likely these days um you can follow matt at matt j harris 85 you can also follow me at sam p snelling uh, give our good friend matt watkins a follow at data mizzou uh, we have all your uh, your hoops coverage uh taken care of on the on the twitter sphere there uh and we will be back next week with more dive cuts until then thanks for tuning in